I've yet to ever reteach something that I've taught up here before. I've never done it before. Um, and that's been two years in, uh, on November 10th. Steadfast has been going on. So I guess I didn't even make it two years, and I'm already teaching something a second time. It's kind of lame, isn't it? But this one came back. Um, this one, the last time this was taught, was 615 of 06. So it's been about a year and a half. Some of you guys would know this. Um, Nate, I just so happen to know this would be the second week that you were in attendance with us. The second week that you were here, this message was preached. Now that's pretty cool, isn't it? That you can actually gauge stuff that, you know, people started coming here. It's pretty cool. Does anyone else, let's see, um, Deidre, what was the, what was the f- message that I preached the very first night you were here? Or did I? You remember the first night you were here? What, what did I preach the first night you were here? That's the first night Nate was here. That's true. But I remember the community was the first night that Nate was here because I remember talking to him in the little orange room. I don't remember the first thing I taught when the first time Nicole came here because it was after she'd come to CYM. Yeah, that's right. Congratulations. Do you remember the first thing I taught? Been a while. The reason why I want to bring this back is because it's something that God's been putting in my heart as I've talked to my temptation team in this past past few weeks. Something that God has definitely been... Um, kind of bringing back into my heart again um, that kind of came back on me. And it really convicted me because I know that this has kind of fallen by the wayside. And I remember my very words at the end of this um, teaching. I said, I don't want this to be something that we just forget about. I want this to be something that changes our way of life, that sticks with us forever, not just something that we forget about in six months from now. So it convicted me. And I'm like, you know, I really don't know if we've made this a passion that I said it should be when we left, when we come off this. So if you guys have your Bibles, I want you guys to turn to um, to Mark. Mark's a good book. Looking through my um, looking through my Bible, I mark down when I uh, when I teach out of an area, and I've taught a lot out of Mark. So you guys have have learned a lot from this, and um, I just wanted to say before we go any farther, that I really appreciate you guys. I was reading back, and um, I was reading old messages, because I, re- I reread the, the podcast, or blog, whatever, on this message, and I was reading back at some of the things that I had written back there, and I read it was one of the very first things that I wrote, and I think it was like the very first blog. You guys can go back and look at it, but it was so, I don't know, refreshing to me, and I said, you know, congratulations on you guys who are part of Steadfast, because it's going to be something that changes our entire area. And definitely, like, you guys have changed a lot already in, in IVCC and here. You guys have done a lot. So I'm really excited. So I'm not bringing this back to you to, um, to just try to throw guilt on you, but because this is really cool, uh, Mark 14 is where we get our, our text. And tonight's uh, re-message if you will, reteaching, if you will, is called the garden. And some of you guys who were here would remember um, when I taught about this. Originally it was called Get in the Garden, and this time we're just talking about the garden. Something that uh, we come up with way back when. So here's the preface to this story. Jesus Christ has gone through um, his two and a half, I don't, three years, about that time frame of him being on earth teaching. And time's winding down. 
Jesus Christ knows it because um, obviously he's God's son, but I don't believe that he uses anything special that we don't have when he's here on earth. talks about him being emptied, so I believe that when he functions on earth, when we look at his life, he functions just like we could. He's a man who has the Holy Spirit inside of him, and he can feel what God's calling is for his life, and he can feel God's calling that it's coming to an end. He knows it's coming to an end. The Holy Spirit has spoken this to him, and he realizes that it's going to be over soon. So he has his very last supper with the men, which is an amazing story when you think about it. Jesus Christ, last night here on earth, and instead of going and preaching to another 4,000 people, he sits down and eats dinner with 12 guys. Only 11 of which who actually care about him. One who's just about ready to betray him. Um, that's Jesus. That's so cool. I can't imagine that. You'd think he'd go out with like this insane last hurrah, wouldn't he? But he sat down and he communicated to these 12 people who were going to carry on what his teachings were. And says that after they got done, they went out and they went out to pray in a place called the Garden of Gethsemane. And they went there. And this is where I want to start reading for you. And of course, you know I want to read it in the message because I'm on my message kick. And I want you guys to hear it um, in this way. So it says this, um, starting in actually, it'd be 32 for you guys if you have the numbering. It says, they came to an area called Gethsemane. Jesus told his disciples, sit here while I pray. He took Peter, James, and John with him. He plunged into a sinkhole of dreadful agony. He told them, I feel bad enough right now to die. Stay here and keep vigil with me. Going a little ahead, he fell down to the ground and prayed for a way out. Papa, Father, you can, can't you? Get me out of this. Take this cup away from me. But please, not what I want, but what do you want? He came back and found them sound asleep. He said to Peter, Simon, you went to sleep on me? Can't you stick it out with me a single hour? Stay alert, be in prayer, so you don't enter the danger zone without even knowing it. Don't be naive. Part of you is eager, ready for anything in God, but another part is as lazy as an old dog sleeping by the fire. He then went back and prayed the same prayer. Returning, he again found them sound asleep. They simply couldn't keep their eyes open, and they didn't have a plausible excuse. He came back a third time and said, Are you still sleeping and resting? Enough. The hour has come. Look, the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let's go. Here comes my betrayer. And at that... Um, Judas and the people come up and they take and arrest Jesus and haul him off to be tried before the court to be taken to his crucifixion. So this is really the last time that Jesus Christ is really with his disciples, the last time he really communicates with these three men before he goes to his trial, to his suffering, and to his death. So I don't know, it's kind of interesting, isn't it? He just had this beautiful last supper with these guys and then we kind of get this that isn't always portrayed as the very last thing Jesus does. You think of the Last Supper. But the last thing he did was really, he yelled at these guys, didn't he? He says, are you still sleeping and resting? Enough, the hour has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinner. Rise, let's go. Here comes my betrayer. Last thing Jesus said. He yelled at him. Which is fitting if you just listened to our last message series, right? So here's what, what the focus of this really is. And what the garden is all about. What I taught a year and a half ago, what I want to teach you again tonight. It comes from um, the verse in 37. There you go. 37. It's hard because I was using the message and I didn't know. It comes with the one right after that other one. He comes back 
And um, he says to him, in, in the NIV, let me read it to you. Um, Returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Simon, he said to Peter, are you still asleep? Could you not keep watch for one hour? And um, this can just be said, just something said, and kind of passed off and just moved on beyond. But we looked at it then, and what I want to look at it again now is this, is that I think there's significance to this that we can apply to our lives. First of all, let's actually just look at this whole situation, okay? Jesus Christ is about to be betrayed and murdered for all of our sins. And he comes to a place where he wants to pray. Very last thing, basically, he's falling down on his knees, and he's asking God, man, I do not want to go through this. And if you could take it away, that'd be awesome. But if it's your will, I'll go through with it. Absolutely. It's what he's telling God. And he brings these guys to a place where they're going to pray. Let me tell you, time and time again throughout Scripture here, and then going on as we move into Acts, where we get to see all these people really played out, where they get to become leaders in these ministries, we see this amazing focus on prayer. And when we look at people like John and, and Peter and all these different people later on, you see this life of prayer that was modeled for them by Jesus Christ. When you go through Jesus' life, every single time something happened, Jesus would go to a place of prayer. It, it was amazing. He'd take and he'd feed 5,000 people, and then he'd send them off, and he'd retreat to a place of silence, and he'd pray. He'd spend a time healing a whole number of people, and then he'd pull himself away, and he'd spend time in prayer once again. And he modeled this life of not just perpetual work and not just doing all these things, but of this constant resubmission to prayer and a time spent with God. And he showed these guys it on a daily basis. Um, As you see in this thing, he took um, Peter, James, and John. These were really his tight three, his core, that he took them. And he took them even farther past his regular disciples. He had his regular disciples came up. He said, wait here in the garden. And he took his other three disciples, went a little farther, and said, stay here and keep vigil with me. Basically, keep watch. Pray with me. Like, you know, you guys are my core. You're You're my buddies. And he just went off just a little bit away, they're all in a group. He just went off kind of on his own right next to these guys, and he began to pray. And they fell asleep on him. So sad. So we see this life of prayer demonstrated, and we see it a lot more. If you guys read on, you're going to see it over and over and over and over again. So here's the deal. What I think this means is, obviously, if we read Scripture, if you guys have read much of any, um, we see the fact that prayer is absolutely necessary. It is key Um, people try to make it into something that it's not. And all it is is communication with God. I had a great conversation last night. Uh, Gina and I got to talk to a kid, Dom, who's in our our youth ministry. And Gina was talking to him and began to talk to him about prayer. And he said about how he feels uncomfortable in prayer. And sometimes he leaves early because he just doesn't know what to do. He just feels uncomfortable. Like he says everything he needs to say. And, you know, like he just feels like, well, what am I supposed to do? And I got to have a great conversation with him talking about what prayer is, about the fact that, you know, you can come in prayer and you can spend the whole night, Dom, just telling God how awesome he is. That is a beautiful prayer. God loves it, you know? There's very few people who I can say deserve it enough that you could spend an hour just telling God how awesome he is. But that's exactly how awesome God is, that you can just dote on him, and it's exactly what is right. I went on and I told him about the fact that, you know, you could spend time asking for people around you interceding, asking for people who you know and people you don't know, asking God to really touch their lives. You can spend time where you just sit there 
and you just wait for God to tell you something, to touch you, to show you something in a way that you haven't maybe even felt before. And of course, you spend time where you're, where you're going to repent and you're going to ask forgiveness for your sins. A lot of times that's kind of the one we think of when we think of prayers, you know, saying, God, please forgive me for my sins because that's the one that kind of stands out to us. And I went on and told them, I don't know if you guys have ever seen this in the scriptures, but it talks about prayer. And one of the things it says is that with groans, people pray. And that's really interesting to think about. What it's saying is the fact is that you don't even need words to pray. And that's, I don't know, it, it was kind of cool telling down this for the first time because I don't think he's ever heard it before. But I said, do you understand the fact? I said, you don't even need words to pray, Dominic. I said, because you are completely tied in with Jesus Christ. If you guys say that you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, it means that he lives inside of you. And it means that you have a connection with him. You have a direct connection to God. And I said, it's literally Dom. I said, you can come down. And I said, you have a bad day. And I said, you can sit down. And I said, you can just groan and cry. And God hears every one of those prayers that's in your heart. Every single one of them. That's how close God is to you. And I don't think he's ever heard that before. That's prayer. Just sitting down and just being real with God with my emotions. Sitting there and crying before God and saying, man, I've had the worst day of my life. That, that's prayer. That's prayer. Because all it is is a communication with God. Just like someone who's your best friend, your best buddy, your mentor. You know, that's exactly how it's supposed to be. So Jesus showed this over and over and over again. Prayer is key. It cannot be left out. It has to be stressed in every single thing. Um, it says about in the Acts church, real quick, let me read for you. In Acts 2, 42 and 43. Just real quick, it's talking about the Acts church. And it says this. Talking about, they call them the fellowship of believers. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All believers were together and had everything in common. It talks about of the things that they dedicated themselves. They dedicated themselves to times of focusing on a teacher, imparting knowledge on them that God had given them. It talks about the fact that they devoted themselves to the fellowship, us. They devoted themselves to really being a community. They devoted themselves to breaking bread, both obviously in representation of communion and just really sharing each other's lives. And they devoted themselves to prayer. And that's absolutely key. If we don't spend time with God, because that's what prayer is, you're not going to get anywhere. That's just the straight up truth. If you don't spend time reading God's word, which is part of your relationship with God, your relationship with that friend. You don't spend time thinking about God and spending time listening to him. You're not going to get anywhere. That's just the truth. People have gone to church for years and have never became a Christian. People have gone to service after service, Sunday after Sunday, Sunday school after Sunday school, Wednesday night after Wednesday night, and listened and really never let it hit their hearts, and have never really communicated with God on their own, and have never even became a real Christian. A real relationship with Jesus Christ. Being here and listening to, say, me talk, or someone else talk, tell you about what God's Word is, spending time in temptation teams, all that's cool. But if you don't take this out with you when you leave those doors, I highly doubt that you're going to be the person who's actually going to make it to heaven. 
And that's really what it is. Because God never said about a half-hearted, about a semi-belief in him. Every single time he talked about salvation, he talked about a sold-out faith. He talked about a faith that is 100%, 100% of what you believe. So if we walk out of these doors and we completely forget about what God just said to us, I highly doubt that you're really living it. You have to be the person who's going to spend time to talk to God. You have to be the person who's going to dedicate and cut out time of their life to give to God, to talk to him and to read his word. Otherwise, it's just not going to work. When we do this, the crazy thing is, is there's so many benefits, but we don't take the time to think about it. There's so many benefits when we actually focus on God, read his word and pray. First and foremost, it is going to strengthen your relationship like nothing else. People take, they want, I want more of God. I want to know God closer. I want to do all this. And they'll go to some concert and they'll go to some convention and they'll go to some, you know, there's people who follow around revivals. They hear about a move of the Spirit down south and we're going down to Texarkana. And there's a revival of the Spirit and Holy Spirit's there. So we're going to go and try to latch on to the Spirit while it's there. And these people are, are chasing all these different things. And it's just, it's a joke. Because God made it so darn easy. He said, here, he says, here's my word, which is Jesus, the embodiment of everything that I am. And then he talks about the fact that Jesus gives us this ability to talk to God directly. I said it before. Back in the day, one priest got to go into the Holy of Holies one time a year. And when Jesus died... He made it so that we continually share that Holy of Holies with God. Crazy enough, Jesus' blood, we, we were just talking about this today in Fusion. By Jesus' blood, when I walk into God's presence, he sees me as perfect. He doesn't see any of my sin. That's so disgusting. He doesn't see my shame. He doesn't see all the things that I have done wrong because his son has paid for it. And what he does is he sees me through basically <laughs> like a Jesus filter, and when he looks at me, all he sees is perfection. He doesn't see any of that. And I get to talk to him and have a real relationship with him. That's what Jesus promises through his life. If I do this, I'm going to grow. If you do this, you're going to grow too. You actually spend time talking to God. And man, you get in his word. Because that's part of prayer. I don't, I don't know if you guys think about that. Prayer is just your relationship with Jesus Christ. You know, we act like prayer is just our like a time that we set to talk to God, you know. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. On earth as it is in heaven, give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts, we forgive those who... Yeah, exactly, right? But it's not. Prayer is a way of life. Prayer is something that starts when you wake up at 6 a.m. and ends when you go to bed at 2 o'clock in the morning. I know you can't say like 8, 8 p.m. with us because it doesn't happen. Prayer is a way of life. Prayer is supposed to be 24-7. You're not supposed to wake up, you know, people had prayer rituals. All other religions do, you know, like um, it's Islam, right? They have to pray, like, I think it's like five times a day, is it? And in a certain way, at a certain time, and, you know, it's, it's a regiment. Old time, the Jews, they used to pray, I think, three times a day. They'd go to, um, like, the, the wall, and they'd pray and stuff like that, and there was all this regiment. And that's not what God said. He gave us his freedom, but he didn't give us his freedom so we couldn't pray. He gave us his freedom so we could pray at any time, anywhere. He's saying we're supposed to live a life of prayer. That when I wake up, I begin my communication with God, and when I go to bed, 
I'm still talking to him. It's not that I have to pray. I'm already connected to God. As I go through my day, that I should be in communication with God, just like he was there with me all day. You guys have seen movies with kids with imaginary friends. Have you guys ever seen Drop Dead Fred? It's a great movie, isn't it? I love, Drop Dead Fred is an awesome movie. There's probably, I haven't seen it so long, I'm sure there's probably offensive stuff in there, because you ever notice when you see something back when you weren't saved, and then you get saved, you watch an old movie, and you're like, oh, totally forgot about that part. <laughs> like, oops. Um, like Drop Dead Fred, that, like, imaginary friend that's with these kids all day long. Um, only ours is an imaginary. We have a real friend who's there with us 24-7, 365.4, whatever it is. I like that girl last week. She said 365 and a quarter. It's funny. Um, we have this imaginary friend that isn't imaginary with us all the time that we're supposed to be communicating with. Our lives on our own. Once we give our, give our lives to Jesus Christ, our lives on our own anymore. We're supposed to be communicating with him, and he's supposed to share our life with us. If you start to pray and you start to read God's word, not only will it affect you, but it's going to affect people around you. And that's just the truth. When you really get into it, when you really get on it, the Holy Spirit's going to work through you, and he's going to start coming out of you and extending to the people around you. You spend time in prayer, and you honestly and earnestly tell God about your friends who you want to see saved, God's going to start working in their hearts. He's going to start softening, and he's going to start changing. You know, I mess up just as much as everyone else. Today in Fusion, we were talking about what keeps us from telling people about God. You know, saying, you know, it seems to me like sometimes it's just such a lack of discipline, such a lack of just, I don't know, energy, where like you see somebody, and it's not that I don't care, but it's just easier to walk by sometimes, isn't it? And like, like that, that God's going to start changing that in my heart. He's going to start softening people so that when I do follow his his will, when I do start follow, following his commands and start telling people about Jesus Christ, they're going to be ready. I've seen people change so much around me already, just in my friends. Um, what's really crazy is when you start getting people, like we have a guy at our shop, and he'll come up and tell me something about God because he knows it interests me. He came up the other day, and he's like, Bob and Tom were making fun of the Bible. Because, like, obviously he wouldn't bring this up if it wasn't for a reason because he knows that I am a Christian. And he says, you know, they're making fun of the Bible. And he was talking about Adam and Eve and how there must have been a lot of inbreeding after that because if it just came from Adam and Eve. And I started talking to him about a conversation about that. But it's interesting because, like I said, once again, I've never forced anything on him. I probably need to be more forceful with him, honestly. But because he knows what my faith is, he comes and he brings that to me. You see, God's already working in their lives. He's already starting to work through me and shine through me. Not only that, but I know this is the one that every single one of you guys are worried about. God's going to start working in your future. Because as college students, we're all at this point, this insane crossroads of life, aren't we? Where you're just old enough to make your own decisions and still young enough where you wish you kind of didn't have to. You know what I mean? We're kind of at that point where you have your whole life ahead of you you're like, man, I don't even know what I want to do. I have that many more years to live, and I don't have a clue yet, right? When you really start focusing on God, you're going to get a real perspective to what your future is supposed to be like. And I told you before, listen to the old messages. It might not be exactly what you want, but it's going to be the best. If you actually start reading God's word, start praying, spending time with God. He's going to take and affect your future and change it for the best. Now, what's this time? 
I put, there's a list here. I got it out of my Bible. Um, Donald Stamps is an amazing man. If you guys ever read the Full Life Study Bible or now the Fire Bible, both of which have commentary by Donald Stamps. And he has really good insight. Smart man of God. I believe 100% that God breathed wisdom into um, some of the study that he wrote. And he wrote this about uh, what this prayer time could be. What your prayer time can be. And he says this. He says it can be praise. Just singing to the Lord. It can be thanksgiving. Telling God how nice he is for doing stuff for you. Just simply waiting on God. Reading God's word. Listening to the Holy Spirit. Praying the words of the scripture. Confessing your, fail- your failings to God. Telling him all the stuff that you've done wrong. Interceding for others. Petitioning for your own needs. You can pray in tongues. Just a few things that he said. There's a hundred more. You can keep on going. Like I said, you can sit down and you can cry. That's prayer. Sit down and cry in God's presence and just be with him. Prayer. Now here's the deal with the, the garden. And some of you guys are like, uh-oh. Because I've given this charge before. And it's really hard because I haven't followed it either. And that's why it kind of convicted me because I said I wanted this to be something different. And I remember when it really was passionate, and I remember that it always fades. That's what happens in our lives. Humans suck. Seriously. We get passionate for something, and then we forget about it. Isn't that crazy? Everyone does it. You, like, you'll find people who are insanely passionate about something, and you talk to them like a year later, and they're like, yeah, eh, not really. You know? Even people that you think are like super gung-ho. But um, In this charge, he says to Peter, could you not even keep watch for me? with one hour. He didn't say, you know, you couldn't keep watch for that whole hour. He said one hour is a small thing, didn't he? When he said that, he said, you couldn't even keep watch for one hour. That's like, you know, someone saying like, you know, you couldn't pay attention for five minutes is what Jesus is basically saying to him. Jesus wasn't using one hour as a big number. He was using one hour as a very small number. Okay? And here's what I get out of is this. Jesus said this at a tremendous time, didn't he? I mean, this came right before he was to be taken, tried, and crucified. In a time that was insanely important, wasn't it? He brought him to this place, and it says, I mean, Jesus literally tells, he tells his disciples that I'm so distressed that I could just die right now. It's what they just hear. And these guys fall asleep, and he's saying, you couldn't just keep watching me with one hour. So it was during this, this tremendous time of importance and the deal is, is this, is I completely believe that we're in a time of just as much importance today. I honestly think, and if you read scripture, I think you'll find backing as well, that we are getting very close to the end days. I know people have been saying this forever, but when I look at the scripture and when I pray to God, I see God moving generations, ours, maybe the one after us, maybe the one after us, who knows, but moving people who really wholeheartedly and passionately follow God because the end's coming soon. And if there isn't people like that, no one's going to make it. He needs soldiers. He needs people who are really focused on him. If he doesn't have it, man, the world's going to end really lame. And he needs us. He needs passion. He talks about this stirring up of these people who really understand God again. Let me tell you, I've said it time and time again in messages. Previous generations, parents and grandparents, you look at them, there's a whole lot of weak examples of Christians. And when I look at that, that's not anything that I want to be in life. I want to be something that's powerful, and I want to be something that's real. 
So if this is the deal that we're in this situation that's very important, don't you think that Jesus today would tell us, can you not even keep watch for me with one hour, one hour of your time? Here's the deal, and it's a hard, it's a hard charge because right now it's going to hit you hard. I want to challenge you to give one hour per day to God. One hour. Now, depending on what time you get up and what time you go to sleep, that can be a greater or lesser percentage of your day. I know some people who sleep a lot. I know some people who sleep very little. I sleep very little. Usually like five to six hours max. Like that's, that's tops. But to give God one hour per day. Now, this can mean sacrifice. Absolutely. Some of you guys, honestly... I know for a fact, there's probably some people out here who are like, all I got to do is just cut out one of the five hours I spend on the internet at night, and I'm cool then, right? There's some people who don't have a lot to do. There's some people who are very busy, but it really means nothing either way. Whether you are 100% busy or whether you are unemployed, um, not going to school, and your mama fixes all three meals for you, and your girlfriend reads you the paper so you don't have to do anything, whatever. Either way. Either way, to commit one hour, to commit one hour to God per day. And in these things, in Bible reading, in talking to God, in singing Him praises, reading His Word, like I said, um, and speaking it back in prayer. And all these different things, actually communing with God, just listening to God, one hour per day. And we talked about back then, what I want to say it again, is I want you to consider this, your time in the garden just like these men went into the garden with God. That every day you need to spend an hour in your garden. You need to take, get in your garden time, all alone, just you and God, and spend time with God. Connection. Like I said, it might take sacrifice, and this is a sadness, but you might have to start removing stuff like TV, that extra hour of TV. That's what God's been convicting me on this last week. I'll tell you what, when I get home, at like 11.30, I feel like sitting down and watching a couple episodes of Seinfeld and then going to bed. That's a beautiful way to go to sleep. But God convicts me and says, you'll sit down and you'll watch two episodes of Seinfeld, and then when you come upstairs to go to bed, you're too tired to read my word. That's unacceptable. That's what I hear in my heart before I go to bed. That's unacceptable. You know? That's, a, that's shameful. Just like he come back and said, you couldn't even keep watch for an hour. God says, you just watched... An hour of TV, and then you come up and you tell me you're too tired to read any of my word. That's just embarrassing. And I don't want to hurt God. I want to have him be proud of me. I want to have him smile on me. This might mean that you're going to have to cut down on some time, you know, sleeping. It's good to get nine hours of sleep, but it's better to get eight with an hour with God. You might have to cut down on some of those video games. Let me tell you, Xbox, Wii, all these different video systems. Seriously, I know kids who spend way too much time, way too much time on video games. Way too much. You might have to cut some of that out. You might have to only play two hours of Gears of War per day or something like that. You know, I have friends like that. You might have to even take away something that you love. Um, How about books? I thought of Cassie. Cassie loves to read. But you might have to remove stuff like another book. People get on this kick, and I hate it. I hate, don't ever tell me this because I'll smack you. Christians, Christians will say, you'll say, what are you reading in your Bible? And they say, well, I'm reading another book right now. Then you're studying, exactly. 
You want me to smack you? The Bible is Jesus. It's God's word. You don't read another Jesus. There is no other God's word. It's this. If you don't have time for this, I'm sorry, you don't have time for another book. Unless you're reading a book on top of this, don't read another book. You'll be 100% better off. Read your, your purpose-driven life. Or whatever. I have nothing against any of these author, authors at all. But if you're not reading your Bible, then it's not worth crap. It's honestly not worth crap. If, if you can read anything or the Bible, you read the Bible. You read the Bible, 100%. I would even go so far to say, you read purpose-driven life, or you are, you are steady in reading something as boring as Leviticus. God's going to bless you reading Leviticus more than reading a, bu- a book. Because God absolutely takes heart people who will do his commands and sit down and read through stuff like that. God's going to give you a blessing. People get in these things, they'll be like reading through something boring like that. But you know what? God's blessing you, and God's going to continue to bless you because he sees your heart that you're passionate enough and you love him enough to continue. When you read it and you say, wow, that, was, that wasn't that interesting. You know, seriously? But God respects your obedience. Absolutely. He respects your obedience in that. You might have to cut down something like food. Maybe you don't have time to go out to lunch. Maybe you need to take something off. That was another thing God convicted me. I sit down and watch TV every day at lunch. Why don't I sit down and read the Bible every day at lunch? My dad's a believer now. Back in the day, he wasn't, so we shared different things. My dad's a Christian now. Why don't we sit down and we talk about the Bible and read through the Bible at lunch? Times that I have off. Maybe God would even call you to take off work. People work extra long hours. People work other things like this. What's better, to get that extra hour or maybe hour and a half because you're getting paid time and a half or to spend an hour in God's word? To spend an hour praying. To spend an hour talking to Jesus Christ. I'll even say it. Maybe you need to cut down on some of your time hanging out. I absolutely love the time that we get to spend here. And I think this is extremely important. All the time that we spend together, when we come here, we are living out what God said. The ex-church community and really re- having relationships. This, is, this isn't in lieu of anything else. This is church. This is what it's all about. But maybe you need to cut out some of the other times. People spend a lot of times together sometimes. I mean, you'll spend a week and you'll see someone like 20, 30 hours in like a week. If you're both Christians, how about this one? Let's chill for an hour, read the Bible, and then we'll hook back up. We can talk later. You know what I mean? People get together and they'll hang out like two Christian people, and they'll never once like, you know, like because two Christians are hanging out, they won't spend their time talking to God. How about you just convict the other person? Yeah, don't, don't say about yourself. Just turn to the other person like, have you been in the garden today? No, well, you should do that. And I'll do it too. Because I need, I need an extra hour. No. Even, even that far. Even that far. And really what's great about it is when you do have a, part, a community like this, this is how it's supposed to be because we're supposed to be able to keep each other accountable. Um, I absolutely loved before and it has, like I said, everything goes by the wayside. Jeannie used to call me and she'd say to me, have you been in the garden today? And it's convicting because days I hadn't, I'd tell her, no, I haven't, Gina. And I said, but you know what? I said, since you called me and I said, I, said, I needed to hear that, I said, I'm definitely going to go home and I'm going to sit down and I'm going to spend an hour with God. Here's the deal. There's no excuses. There's nothing you can tell me that's more important. There's nothing, I could stand up here for a thousand years, doesn't matter what you fire back at me, there's nothing you can tell me that's more important. You understand that literally when Jesus called, 
the two brothers, the sons of thunder, they just dropped their nets and left their dad in the boat. You're telling me about a guy that when he called a man to come with him, he said, first let me go home and bury my father. And he said, let the dead bury their dead. Follow me now. said Jesus Christ is hardcore. Nothing you're going to find to tell me is more important than spending time with God, spending time really learning about him, and being in his, in his word and in his presence. There's no excuses. So here's the de- deal. I told you, one hour a day, one hour a day, that you're going to commit to it, that you're going to try at it. Even if you fail, you're going to continue to try at it day after day after day, even if you fail day after day after day, but you're going to continue to say, I'm going to try as hard as I possibly can. Even if I fall asleep like Peter, I'm absolutely going to get up and I'm going to try it again. So, have you been in the garden and will you get into the garden? I said it last time and now I'll say it again because I started with it and I'll say it once again. I don't want this to be something that just gets forgotten. I want this to be something that changes lives. I don't say that because it's something that I come up with. I say it because God convicts me all the same that I don't spend enough time with him. And if we do, I know that amazing things are going to happen. You've seen that in scripture time and time again. You have to focus on God. I don't want us to be something that, forget, that we forget about and that in another year I'm saying the same thing to you again. Because I will. I will bring it back to you again but I want it to be something that actually stays in our hearts. Something about this that we dedicate this time to God, one hour per day, to give to God only, no one else. So, let me pray with you guys before we get done. I thank you, Jesus Christ, for tonight, and I thank you, Lord, for the time that we can spend together. I thank you, Jesus, just for uh, your word, and I thank you for your conviction. Lord, just this conviction that you put in my heart, and um, I pray to you, Jesus Christ, that you would also just, I know that you've touched other people in this audience tonight, Lord God. They have felt um, just your Holy Spirit tell them that they need to be doing more. I pray to you, Jesus Christ, that you would just give us this reality that nothing else here on earth is possibly as important as spending time with you. I pray to you, Jesus Christ, that as we go through our days, that we would just long for our time in the garden where we can spend an hour focused on you, focused on only what you have to tell us, focused on only communicating with you. I pray to you, Jesus Christ, that you would just let this sink into our hearts. I pray to you, Lord, once again, that this wouldn't be something that's forgotten. But I pray to you that it would come into our, into our innermost beings, into our souls, and it would breathe out of us, Lord God. And I just thank you for what you're going to do because I know as much as it's a passion of mine, I know that it is a hundred times more a passion of yours, Jesus Christ. I thank you for what you're going to do. And I pray to you, Jesus, that you would bless every single person in this audience as they continue to follow um, in your obedience, Lord God, and following what you have for them. I thank you, Jesus Christ, and I pray to you, just bless everyone as they go home. Bless all of us as we go um, out on our own. In your name I pray, Jesus Christ. Amen.